Our scripture reading today is from Luke 10, 25 through 37, and it is the English Standard Version. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. The word of the Lord. Good morning. So uh, how many of you, how many of you love change? Just really enjoy change in, li- in your life? Come on, no more hands than that? De- oh, it depends, yes. It definitely depends. Um, you know, a lot of us actually really struggle with, with uh, various changes. Um, it, it, it's something that's not always the most comfortable thing for us. But I think... The hardest change for us to to deal with and to actually see in our lives is is our internal change, our own change. Um, and and often we we see people and and maybe even our own selves we can examine and and we find that there's there's behavior patterns and, and there's mindsets and there's things that that don't change from year to year. And for some of us, from decade to decade, decade we don't see the change that we actually would hope for, we might have expected at one point, but we don't always experience that kind of change. And so we want to talk a little bit, not as much about change, um, but how do you get to that change and what is the result of the change? So I want to share this one quote with you from a book uh came out a few years ago, and the author's friend said this, I was a Christian for 22 years, but instead of being a 22-year-old Christian, I, I was a one-year-old Christian 22 times. I just kept doing the same things over and over again. You know, that's a sad reality for for many, to be honest. Um, and, and one of the things, the points that's being made here is that uh, change doesn't always occur 
the way we want it to. But how, how does change occur? How does actual change that's noticed by others occur? Last week we talked about uh, conduct flows out of thinking patterns and character. So several weeks ago we talked about knowing Jesus changes our thinking. Um, and then two weeks ago, last time I was up here, we talked about knowing Jesus changes what we called our interiority, the, the inner character, the inner life of a person. Those two things, that what, how we think and our inner character, those trans, as they transform, our actions and our behaviors actually transform and change as well. So what we're going to talk about today is knowing Jesus changes our actions. But we also need to, to pause and recognize that our actions aren't changed because we just muster up the, the desire or, or the willpower to do so. Our actions and behaviors change because our thinking patterns are transformed and our inner life is transformed. And so we've talked about that in recent weeks. Um, James, uh, in the book of James, and, and many of you are familiar with this, James says, listen, faith without works is dead. So what James recognized was that there was a real action orientation to our faith. And there's something, there were results to our faith that are outwardly noticed by others. Two weeks ago, the last time I was up here, we, we looked at Matthew 5 and we looked at the first part of the Sermon on the Mount uh, known as the Beatitudes. And there were seven specific blessed character traits that that Jesus talks about being representative of His character and representative of how His kingdom operates. And let me just list those off real quick as a point of review. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Again, these are reflective of His character and His kingdom. And these are the character traits that God intends to transform within us, but out of that will flow action. Now we're gonna, we're gonna focus one place today on a specific actionable character of compassion. And I wanted to focus on that because I believe compassion encompasses a lot of how God's kingdom operates. We talked a couple weeks ago about how His kingdom is where He rules. And if He rules in our hearts, then compassion will actually start to take place. And compassion is, is not just an inner character, but it's an inner character that's actionable. And you see action from, from that character trait of compassion. The definition of compassion. This is just right, right out of uh, Merriam-Webster. Sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. And aligned with that definition, I'm going to read some verses to you. And if you want to jot them down to look at them later, I'm just going to read these through rather quickly to give you a sense, biblically, is compassion present in Scripture? And I think you would quickly say yes, but let me just read these and just listen to them. Psalm 103.13, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. First uh, John 3.17, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Romans 12.15, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. 
Again, keep in mind this definition. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And again, you, you get the sense of this is an inner character that's worked out through action towards another. Um, with, with a desire and an action to, to alleviate, hey, somebody has some need, whatever it might be, we're acting towards that. And so the passage we, we read before I got up here, um, that passage is quite familiar to most of us in here. And it's, it's understood, known as the title of the Good Samaritan parable that, that Jesus told. And in that passage, we see really four different characters. We see one who um, ends up getting beat up and, and left for dead on the side of the road. And then we see two different religious leaders, a priest and a Levite, one, one at a time approach this person in desperate need and actually go to the other side of the road and keep going. Not even stopping. And then we see the third person come up, the, the Samaritan, who is an outcast in, in contrast to the religious leaders. He, he was the outcast. He comes up, he stops, not just says, are you okay, and moves on, but says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually take care of you. And he goes out of his way to take care of this person in desperate need, showing mercy or showing actionable compassion towards this person in need. And what I'm impressed by is that he goes above and beyond, not just, let me just get you to somebody else that's going to take care of you. He actually took care of him. He, he put his financial resources into it. He put his time into taking care of this person. Why is there a difference? And let's look at this for a second. Why is there a difference between the response of the two religious leaders and the response of this outcast, the Samaritan, who went out of his way to take care of this, this person in need? One might, one might be a suggestion that there's a difference between inner character and really an outward show. See, the religious leaders, Jesus talked about, many of these religious leaders struggled as what he called whitewashed tombs. On the outside, they look clean and nice. They're following all the rules. And on the inside, they're dead. Pretty harsh that Jesus said this at another point in Scripture. So it could be that that was why they ignored and kept moving. It also could be they were important, at least in their own minds. They were the religious leaders of the time. They were the important people of the time. So if they were important, they may not have had time to stop. They had important things to get to. They didn't have time. It could be that. Or maybe something else. But there was a huge contrast in, in their responses. Micah 6.8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. These are the actions of God's kingdom. This is where He reigns in our hearts. We will act with justice, kindness, and humility walking with our God. So those are action-oriented, just as we've talked about compassion being. 
there was a now famous study uh, took place in 1973. It was a social experiment. There was two two gentlemen that were um, Princeton psychologists, and they did a study based on this Good Samaritan passage. So here's what they did: they took 40 Princeton Seminary students, and th- they put them in one building, and they said, okay, 20 of them, they said, we want you to write a talk, a sermon, basically, based on this passage. So go ahead and write it. Prepare for it. And then the other 20, they said, what we want you to do is write a talk on possible uh, professions and, and career paths for a seminary graduate. So the first 20 are writing on the Good Samaritan Passage. The next 20 are writing on potential career paths for a seminary graduate. Um, so what they did is one at a time, the, the student, seminary student would finish their, their prep for their talk. They would go to the assistant at that building, and the assistant said, you know, um, what we want you to do is go across campus, and they gave them the directions to where to go, to another building. We want you to record your talk in this other building. But here's the difference what they did. For some of them, and this is for both groups of 20 that that worked on the different topics. For some of them, they said, oh wow, look at the time. They actually were expecting you a while ago. You better hurry and get over there. And then for some of them, they said, okay, here's where you need to go. Go on over, they're waiting for you. And then for some, they said, you know, they're not quite ready for you yet, but go on over now anyway and, and you'll be there. So what they did is they set up different levels of, of rush or hurriedness for, for the, those participating in the experiment. And on their way over, they encountered this person, part of the experiment, who was laying on the ground, audibly in some kind of discomfort and pain, and looking all dis- disheveled, and, and really looking like they need some help. And what happened was, people had various responses. A whole spectrum of responses. Some completely ignored. In fact, some literally stepped over this man to get to the next building. Uh, Some uh, didn't stop, but they told the assistant at the next building, hey, there's somebody back there in need. You may want to send somebody to help. Some stopped and said, do, do you need some help? And when the man said, no, I'm, I'm good, I, I, you know, I think I'll be fine, you know, go ahead, they went ahead. Some stopped and said, you know what, I at least want to get you into this nearby building. You, you'll be better off there. And so they got them, him into the building. Some said, you know what, I, I, I want to take you somewhere. I really want to stop and I want to help you. And so they took them somewhere, maybe, maybe you know, a building and stayed with them. I'm not leaving until um, help arrives. Or they actually took them to the hospital. So there's this whole spectrum of response from, from those that came across this, this person in need. Overall, 40% stopped to help the victim. 40% of the group of 40. Those that... Ah, they're not quite ready for you yet, but go on over so they didn't feel the most rushed. 63% helped. Those that were kind of medium, hey, they're waiting for you now, go ahead and go over. 45% helped. And those that are like, oh wow, you're late, they were expecting you a while ago, hurry on over. 10% stopped to help. So what do we take away from that social experiment? And people have talked about this experiment for a number of years now. 
First, thinking about ethical norms doesn't imply that we'll act on them. So thinking about even the seminary vocation or specifically thinking about the Good Samaritan passage, thinking about studying it, wasn't enough for them to act on it necessarily. Two, the, the hurry caused either a lack of awareness of somebody's need. I'm so rushed that I almost have blinders on. I can't even stop long enough to realize somebody has a need. Or they actually experienced a tension between stopping and helping that person in need and not disappointing and, and helping the experimenter that they were a part of this experiment and getting there when they knew they, they needed to get there quickly. And so it wasn't necessarily always a callousness that they didn't stop, but feeling a, this conflict of, well, who do I really help? There's a, there's a quote from the study. It says, ethics become a luxury as the speed of our daily lives increases. This was written, again, this study was done in 1973. How much more pertinent is that quote for today? As the speed of our lives increase, do ethics become a luxury? From, from the Good Samaritan passage that we have read, and from this particular study, we know that compassion, it's not something that's just knowledge-based. It's not just if we know more or if we've just studied that passage. Because what that, that study showed is that there wasn't a significant difference in those that had prepared the passage on the Good Samaritan to talk on that and those that had prepared to just talk about seminary vocations. There wasn't a significant difference in who stopped to help between those two groups. So it wasn't necessarily knowledge-based, in fact, it's not something that we can just necessarily plan. Well, you know, tomorrow at 3 o'clock, I'm going to, to show some compassion to somebody. We can't, we can't put that in our to-do list and plan that out because it's, it's not just, I know what I need to do, so check, I'm going to do it tomorrow. What goes into our actions? We need to think about that for a second. What goes into our actions? Well, our actions come from faith, so are we following Jesus as a disciple? And through that discipleship, we have purpose. So that's the foundation of any action as a believer in Christ. The foundation would be our faith walk. We have faith in Christ. He has given us a purpose to love others. Jesus said that in the beginning of the passage we looked at today. A reoriented thinking. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Character building obedience, and I would, call, I would say margin. This is getting real practical here. A number of years ago, I was a youth pastor at a church, and one of the, the pastors I served under at this church, almost every Monday morning we'd have a staff meeting. And there were six or eight on our staff. And what this person would talk about and then have as a, as a specific prayer during our staff meeting was, Lord... Would you give us margin this week for you to work? So in other words, his point was, and his prayer was that our calendars wouldn't be so filled up with everything that we intended to do that there was no margin left for God to say, would you help that person? 
person has a need, and, and often that doesn't, like we said earlier, that doesn't get planned out. We don't know it when it's coming. So his prayer was that, that his and ours on staff, our calendars and our schedules for the week would have the margin and the flexibility. We weren't so fast-paced and, and planned every minute of it every day that we didn't see what God was intending for us to do and act upon. So let's close with this. question is, what does an elephant, a rider on the elephant, and a path have to do with change of action? So we talk about wanting to change in particular areas, but sometimes that doesn't actually come to fruition, and we wonder why. So there was a, a book written several years ago called Switch. Chip and Dan Heath are the authors, and they're in the business context. And they came up with this, this metaphor that's quite memorable, and I think quite a powerful thinking of change. First, they talk about the rider of this elephant. See, the rider is rational, and the rider needs direction. It's rational, needs direction. We study to transform our mind. God, would you change me as I look into your word? We study and we dig into Scripture for our minds to be transformed. And we knew this a few weeks ago that as our minds are transformed, the whole of us begins to be transformed. The elephant is emotional and needs motivation. Jesus intends to transform our inner life, our inner character, our interiority. And from that, character comes motivation. Motivation becomes less explicit, transactional, what do I get out of it, and more implicit. It's because He has given me purpose. It's because He has loved me first that I'm motivated to to do X action. Does that make sense? And then the path. The path is the destination and it needs shaping. And that was my practical suggestion earlier. Um, How do we make it easier for change? How do we make it easier for change in our lives? And we know God intends for us to change in a particular area. For For some of us, it might mean a slower pace. It might mean building margin into our lives. For some of us, it might mean something different. But how can that path be be reshaped so it's easier for the change? Don't make it harder, make it easier. So the outcome is transformation seen in action. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the result of knowing Jesus in our lives, having that relationship with Him, and Him changing us. But we're leaning into that in obedience. We're saying, would you change me and transform me from my thinking to my inner life to my outward actions? So I'm going to end with this. How are you pursuing transformed thinking like the rider? How are you pursuing a transformed interiority like the elephant? And how are you pursuing a transformed action like the path we talked about? We are desperately in need of Jesus and His Spirit in us to do all of this changing and transforming that we've talked about for several weeks now. This is not just a human humanistic thing where we just, I'm going to try harder. 
But as I talked about a couple weeks ago, it becomes a theological endeavor as we, as we pursue right thinking, godly, biblical thinking. As we pursue character change. As we pursue response and action. It's a theological endeavor. We come alongside in obedience to what He's doing already in our lives. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank You that You love us perfectly. We thank You that You, because of the work on the cross, intend to change us to look more like You. Father, thank You that we it's not about us just trying harder, but it's about us just obediently following You, pursuing this change that You desire. Lord, would You speak to each one of us about specific areas in our lives that need changing, that need that transformation. Father, that You would receive glory and honor as we pursue You. Help us to do so, Lord, and help us to sharpen one another and encourage and challenge one another in this. In Jesus' name, Amen.